Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love, and that's what we are about as everyday innovators. And if you've ever thought that a project you worked on had, you know, maybe too much drama, those unnecessary conflicts, that overall the project should have just been easier for everyone involved, then this episode is really for you. We explore how to have less stressful projects by using something called Projectopia. It's our guest's eight-step method for project planning. And with this method, he says you can crush your big projects and you can do it without stress and with clarity, direction, and efficiency. You'll have to listen to see if you believe that. Our guest is Andy Rosick, currently the innovation product manager at Home Depot, mentor to startups, and former founder of software companies. To help follow along with our discussion, Andy gave us a guide to Projectopia, which is part of the written show notes. And you'll find those show notes at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 208. Please go there, check it out, and get that guide for you on Projectopia. Now, to our discussion. Andy, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. I appreciate it. So we got connected on LinkedIn, and then you started telling me about kind of your framing of project management, which we'll talk about here in a moment. And I got curious just about your background, too. So you have founded lots of startups, I think, what, three now? Yeah, three, and three startups. Yeah, and in the process, all kinds of product work and creating teams and experiencing what it's like to be on projects that... From my experience, you know, my, I have a my project management professional certified PMP and have been on lots of projects. They're not always stress free. You're trying to project projects that might be less stressful, which uh, really caught my attention with your product experience. So I'm first curious just about your connection with that topic. What really led you out of the startup and product work led you to kind of focus on how can we have better projects? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. The reason I use the word project too is I'm, I've been a product manager for the last two decades. So mm-hmm. either running my own company or being in product. Um, I like the word project because even if you're building just a feature for a product, it's a project. It has a start right. and end. Um, and so it's just more broadly applicable. And I think when I, uh, what really got me thinking about this and leading me down this path is, is definitely being a startup founder. Um, you have to wear so many hats. Uh, you're working all the time. It's stressful. You're you kind of have this internal monologue going on all the time of, you know, this could all come crashing apart. And no, it's great. And I know what I'm doing. No, I don't know what I'm doing. And and so everything feels stressful anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. And then everything takes too long. And I think that began to lead to me thinking more methodically around how do you how do you remove stress? And when I think about my own just personal productivity, um, what's helped me feel less stress is trying to keep fewer things in my mind. So when hmm. I just write things down, I use calendars heavily. Um, I know I've captured it and then I can forget about it and move on. So I joke, you know, if my, my calendar dings on my computer and it said, jump out the window, I'd probably go jump out the window before thinking about it. Like it just, I just go, but that, that reflex. frees up. Yeah. It frees up, um, you know, a lot of mental bandwidth. And so I thought about projects in the same way. Like I don't 
know what the end of this project look, looks like. So it became stressful, right? I, I, all I can do is worry because I don't understand what's required to get to the end to find success. And so I started to think about how to apply some of those same, um, you know, concepts to framing a project, understanding it so that I could document and even share and even hand off and delegate uh, portions of that. So knowing that now I'm no longer responsible for unknowns, I have knowns. And even if those knowns are going to take a long time, I know Mm -hmm. what they are and I have a general idea of how long they're going to take is very different than, you know, build X and, you know, and X could be anything. It could be like remodel or renovate your car. Right. Okay. When are you going to be done? Never. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Just shedding light on those things that are unknown that lead to uncertainty and make us mm-hmm. all nervous. At least if we, we can figure out the things that should be known, make them visible and right. put an action plan together, that makes good sense. And you call this approach to projects Projectopia. Tell us about the name. Yeah. So I had been teaching a lot of people, both like internal and companies I was working at, as well as um, I mentor a lot of startup founders and, and different startups. So I kept sort of going and teaching them my, what I call my methodology, you know, this method of my madness. Uh, and I didn't really have anything to call it other than I can, I can help you frame what you're doing and understand it. And then uh, I was, I got sort of on this tangent. It was about a year and a half ago on um, growth hacking. And I, I like this idea of, I like the idea of growth hacking from the sake of, I like figuring out how to do things for like free, no money, other ways. Like how can you be creative in constraints? And I think that's mm-hmm. all growth hacking is. Um, but in doing that, I had, I was following this, uh, this one character who would name his, his online meetings, like these bizarre names and, and, and basically, I interact with him a little bit, kind of one on one. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I just I come for the name because it, it just it sounds different. It still has the same content, maybe someone else is doing or it's similar, but it, it it catches people's eye." And I was like, "Okay, I, I think I just need to name this thing." So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, since it's about projects, this project, and then this idea of being stress free of utopia. So Projectopia came into being, and uh, and it's good because it gets people uh, like yourself and many others to go. What is that? It sounds like it means this, and usually they're right. They're like like happy projects, and it's, right. yeah, that's it. Good, I like it. it. Sticks with you a little bit. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team, meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM Experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. 
I like to go through the framework and you know, kind of talk how this actually helps us do a better job of getting projects put together and helping them to be less stress. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I can go with st- stress-free yet, but less stress would be good. <laughs> Maybe you can talk to me We'll start it. there, yeah. And as we talk through it, I don't know if you have any, a tangible example that you can connect us to to illustrate how this works. Yeah, absolutely. Where do we start? What's the first thing we do? Yeah, so I like to use the, the reference example of uh, build a website. So whether you've ever built a website before or you're doing one now, or even if you haven't, you're not a technical person, you've used websites mm-hmm. and you probably have opinions about how good, bad, or indifferent that they are. So I use that as like a nice core example, but I've done this um, with companies who are trying to replace their entire ERP system which uh, with 61 integrations to other software products all the way down to very, very kind of just here's a single feature we're going to take on, but website works really well. Um, So for that example, someone comes to you, let's say a boss and says, we're going to build our new website. We're going to go. We've, we've been using some, let's say we're on medium and we're writing stories, but we don't have our own web presence. So build us a website. Mm -hmm. You say, great, because that sounds good it's a thing you understand websites right how hard could that be um and so you start throwing ideas around you go oh yeah i need a homepage. i need somewhere to host it and i need a blog and i need oh we have products so i'm gonna have to sell products and you take money and you start generating this list of when you really sit down and start thinking about it and you could actually generate that list for a long time to come so you think about websites they can do almost anything right so there's a, there's a lot of potential there but so what I suggest is like taking all that and sort of inventorying it because my, my first premise is that you've packed too much. The immediate thing when someone's a build website or any project, your brain begins filling in the gaps. So they didn't give you all the information. So you start filling it in. And now just like going on vacation, um, I'm actually on vacation right now. So I can relate to this. Um, you know, you, you pack too much, you put too much stuff in. I mean, uh, I think it's actually in the, the link. If it's not, I'm going to add it in before you, you post it. But there's this great tweet. This guy said, he's like, you know, I wear the same shirt every day for seven days in a row. And then I go on vacation and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to need 32 shirts. And that like perfectly framed up this concept of you pack too much, right? Like the, because you haven't actually mapped out what vacation looks like, hmm. 32 shirts is logical, just like a hundred different pages of my website is logical until I actually say, well, what am I trying to accomplish? What's the problem I'm solving? So first is just the start with the premise. You have too much. So let's take all that out and organize it and lay it out in a, you know, in a more uniform fashion. And you use the analogy of unpacking the suitcase. Yes. So I can imagine doing this like, okay, I, I'm getting ready for the business trip. I have, I'm really good at this now. So this doesn't happen to me, but <laughs> all my stuff won't fit in the suitcase. So let's mm-hmm. figure this out. So I take out, okay, I have my stack of shirts. I have my stack of, of underwear and socks and, and pants. And maybe I put two pairs of shoes out there. I want to do it right. And so I'm, I'm kind of organizing what is in my, mm-hmm. for our website analogy, what needs to go into the website and then getting my hands around this. So still fits with the, the suitcase analogy, but it's a, maybe we'll veer off a little bit because you don't usually have a team helping you pack um, your suitcase, although you may have spouse, family, I, I whatever. <laughs> right. You get, you get your people and they're, they like their people. But this is that moment where you really want to engage the team 
who's going to participate in this. If you've got a branding group who's going to create the logos and things or designers, uh, engineers who are going to write code, if you've got people who have to sign off on content, whatever. It all depends, you know, how big your company is. But um, this is that phase where you actually want to lay all those things out and say, here, I've unpacked the suitcase of what, quote unquote, could be a website. But you know in the back of your mind, not, not all this will fit in the suitcase, right? right? And, and by suitcase, I mean, what is the shortest path to having a live website? You may have many iterations of growing that website and making it more advanced, more beautiful, more complete. Um, but your company still doesn't exist online until you throw the switch and turn on that website. So... What you want to do is get everyone's concepts of what belongs in there. And that is that unpacking and that you then take those items and you talked a great, great point about kind of organizing how many shirts do I have, how many pants, how many shoes. So you want to organize them, lay them out and kind of, if you can, this, this helps if, if things work linearly, not everything does for all projects, but like for a website, you know, item one on the top left is going to be you know, you need a, a domain, a URL somewhere for someone to type in a name, like Everyday Innovator. Um, you need a host. That stuff has to live somewhere online. And, you know, where's that going to be? And then, um, you know, most sites need a homepage need somewhere to get to. So you can start to lay these things out and they can, you know, it won't be perfect, but a pretty good linear organization of here's all the items and what we think makes up websites. So that is sort of the unpacking and the organizing steps. And still at this point, you're very free. Nobody's being told no. You can insert crazy ideas. Our website should scroll from left to right or right to left, top to bottom. Like, great, whatever. Put them all up there. Let everything come out. Because this is that point where you're going to understand what everybody believes website ought to equal. And and all the other people in the room get to hear those and you think in their heads, like, this is insane or this is good, but that's okay. Getting them all on the board. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a starting place now. Yeah. We have some concept of what a website is and all the things it could be to different people. Right. And now we actually want to do something reasonable. So <laughs> so, so, so what's, what's our next activity? Yeah, so this is that point uh, when you can really highlight to, again, that, that group of folks. If it's just you, fine. I think this, this process works really great for yourself. So don't, mm -hmm. don't discount this. If you're, you've been tasked with a project and you're the only contributor to it, you should still do this because right. it will reduce your stress. But let's say you now have this group of people, they see all the things, and now you can point out how we have packed too much. Look, we have 14 pairs of pants. We're only going for two days. Um, you know, we have all these features of an advanced website. You know, you're dreaming of uh, someone's site who's been around for a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, we're day one. So, you know, what do we need? And so you can start to then take uh, this works great with you know, sticky notes on a wall works mm -hmm. great with a lot of different tools. You can do a Trello, you can do almost any free tool and like drag and drop, move things around. But what you're doing is you're saying, these ideas you have aren't, aren't bad. They're just potentially uh, not yet, right? They're maybe too advanced or too much work for us to get to. We want to be live. So that's the part you as that leader need to decide what is your you know, initial target goal. And for a website, it would be how fast can we be mm -hmm. live on the internet? Um, so you want to start pulling those things off to the, you know, the later pile. So in other words, they're not being told no, they're not disappearing, they're not going in the trash, they're saying, these are not the crucial things to get live. 
we'll talk about those as sort of project two, right? Right now we're in project one, which is we don't exist on the web. We want to get on the web. Project two might be we want to sell things on the web or we want to have powerful content that we can distribute on the web. So there's, right. there's additional goals, but you cannot accomplish all those things. You know, otherwise you, you can, but then you're not going to launch website until you know, months from now when all that stuff is finally done and approved and reviewed and re-looked at and rehashed out. Um, so again, you're creating this pile. We've packed too much. So let's put some stuff kind of back in the drawers, mm-hmm. but we're not getting rid of them. We're not throwing our clothes away. We now know that these are ideas we have for later. We've captured them. They're written down, but you come to an agreement around what are those core things. And in a website example, obviously the URL, some mm-hmm. kind of web address that you know, mirrors your branding. So you're going to have to do some work to find that. You need somewhere to host this stuff and a homepage. I would say that's not quite enough just existing. So let's add at least one, one existing feature on top of homepage that uh, feeds into your goals. So let's say you want to capture email addresses as a you know, database of, of followers. So you have email address capture. So those are kind of four core things that you want to create and you think are the vital, uh, minimal things you need to throw that switch and say, our website is live. Right. And this is taking place in a context, obviously. So we're focused on kind of the project management aspects of how can we set up the work that needs to get done in a way that kind of honors everyone's opinion, get, get, gets you know everything on the table, mm-hmm. and in a way that is reasonable and doesn't add more stress to us. Yeah. Sounds like, as you're talking through that last item of what is it we take from our all the possible things we could do, right? Take out of the suitcase and, and what do we actually keep? Also would mirror a MVP process where we have this other context going on where you know maybe we're the users or we're, we've been engaged with customers and we understand their needs. We understand what is the minimal thing that would provide you value now? What can we start with? And so there's some other things that are helping us shape and drive what we're going to focus on on our website example. Right. Let's get a page up and we want to capture emails. This phase, I think people like to hand off components of this to like specific people, right? So the project manager should own these kind of timelines and then what's deliverable and what's minimum, what's viable. Um, or, you know, a product person has to make certain decisions or, you know, other stakeholders have to, you know, I got to know from design how long it's going to take them to create logos and things before we do this. No, no, no. This to me is at its core, you know, one of the key elements of leadership that are, are just waiting to be, sort of taken and done, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you take responsibility, you assume leadership, and then you earn trust based on how you perform as a right. leader. Um, this is one of those moments where I think almost anyone who's engaged in the project, if your product manager is not doing this, step in and do it. If right. you're not the product manager, right? If, if your project manager typically does it, they're not really doing well, then do it. And you don't have to do it in a way that you know, is forceful, whatever, you could say, hey, I ran some ideas on a board and why don't you come in and check it out with me? What do you think, right? You can engage, you can bring in a single stakeholder first, a single person. Um, but this is that opportunity to show like I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the, the larger group. So I'm engaging more people to contribute here, making sure that people uh, are bought in, mm-hmm. right? Everyone right. now knows what website in quotes equals. Right. It's these four big goals. And there's a list of things that's going to take to achieve those. And we can even estimate those. 
it's yep. a lot easier than just saying, build me a website. Because as soon as you do and you launch it and you didn't engage those people, they're going to go, well, where's the products? Where's the blog? Where's the, you know, and so now you've done it wrong, right? right? You failed. <laughs> and so that's, again, that's another element that of stress. Adds stress, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. See? So, so that this component of, of leadership by just having thoughtfulness and trying to help, you know, bring people into the process even just calling out that it's too much and saying, you know, that crucial step of cutting away mm-hmm. is hard. And and again, people have all sorts of debates, and I do too, around what's minimum viable. Um, should you call it a phase? Should you, you know, what are what are the terminology? And there's a lot of kind of muck around that. Don't get caught up in that. Right. Get caught up in, uh, you know, I'm trying to achieve a goal. The goal is people want to find us online because that's where they go to find things. Mm-hmm. We don't exist online. So how do I get us there? And while I'm doing this, I'm going to find out from these folks that they have a lot of other dreams and hopes for this website. And guess what? I just stood out. You know, um, I'm like the 1% in terms of leadership because no one else went and asked them what they thought the website should be. They just had ideas in their mind. They were quietly sitting in there and I've now pulled them out and had them say what they hope it would be. Even got them excited that, hey, I could launch this thing in a week. Right. Let's let's be live in a week and then let's talk about those next things you wanted in the later pile. Because now they're going, wow, if that only took a week, maybe the next thing will be fast too, as mm-hmm. opposed to six months from now we'll have website and it'll be wrong anyways, because no one listens to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this element of Projectopia, I think, that is different than just story mapping or trying to come up with a minimum viable product is this idea of leadership, engaging the larger group. Um, being thoughtful, kind of leading through that and helping them, you know, get to that same place. So they're not just, um, what's the, what's the term, the disagree and commit. Hmm. That's, you know, like, I think that's needed sometimes, but it's a horrible thing. What you really want is people on board right. and people excited about that. I would much rather have less things in that website and know that I can have it in a week than I am, you know, disappointed or having to like force myself to come on board um, like not having my idea and knowing it's still going to take six months. Right. So those are, those are really different conversations. Now, now it's not, no, it's great idea. Let's figure out if, and when that's the right thing to do next. And so now those people are kind of on the hook. They're excited to see the first launch. Mm-hmm. That's some buy-in. Yeah. They want to come back for the next meeting. What do we do next? Is it the blog? Is it the products? Like what, well, you know, and, uh, and you know, I'm being more animated here, but, you know, there is a, definitely a shift in mm-hmm. uh, participation and excitement when they realize you're you're shifting the timelines, you're shifting the visibility, uh, and it's all in a positive way. Um, so they're going to support you way more than they were they would have if you just said, OK, I'll be back with a website someday. Good. There's another dimension that comes to my mind, which is the topic of scale. And as you've been advising startup founders, I'm sure you have seen this many times that we'll stick with the website, right? It's like yeah. this website is going to be our business. We're going to, you know, maybe it's a, a SaaS solution and we're going to provide it through this website. And we have to be able to support a hundred thousand customers. We don't have one yet, but right. we have to architect it for a hundred thousand customers. Like, well, we might not ever actually get there. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe part of our initial conversations as we were working on this might be, yeah, we, we, we need to have an architecture for a hundred thousand people. What is sufficient for today? Mm-hmm. And maybe the shared host just to get the message out today is great. And then we'll work on you know, what kind of server we need for that. 
and all the other things that impact that. Right. I find teams sometimes get bogged down envisioning the future, which is great, but then building to a future that may never come to pass because there's yeah. so many things we have to learn before then. Yeah, and I've, I've encountered that many times. You are absolutely right. Many startups that are kind of experiencing some level of growth. Mm-hmm. So let's say we have our first 100 customers and now we've got a little bit of funding and we're going to go after the next 1,000 or 10,000. And so now everyone's going... Oh, it has to scale. We're barely holding together with duct tape and thread. And so, you know, my my opinion on scale is that that is part of that group conversation. And and you need to have some again leadership with, hey, this is the, the current bandwidth. Here's how many people are coming to our site. Here's how many people are doing things. Um, we can sustain this. We encounter occasional problems. Where do you guys, architect, developer, whatever, where do you think that next plateau is when are we going to hit that next problem point and why and so there's always a trade-off you can build for scale and it takes a long time it's expensive and you can not build for scale which is faster and when it fails it's expensive Mm -hmm. and um, i think you have to balance you know where where do you live as an organization if you're tied on funds then you build for now with a little bit of buffer and you readdress as you grow as you find success um, I went through this with a past company that was, you know, it was a big public company. We had cash in the bank. All the salespeople wanted the shiny new features. Hey, competitor A has this, and competitor B has that, and competitor uh-huh. C has that. And I said, hold on, your whole sales team won't even sell our this product line because you don't trust it. It was an ac- it was an acquisition that was a startup. It wasn't at the same scale as the mothership. Uh, and I said, so you know, if I build you a shiny object on a platform that you don't sell and trust today, how is that going to change anything? Right. Right. And they looked at me and were like, "Uh," you know, they couldn't answer that. I said, look, we have money in the bank right now. It's most important that we build for scale, for stability so that those enterprise customers trust Mm -hmm. us. So the sales team trusts us. And as that grows and we, when we get to that scalability, I will give you every shiny new feature on the planet and I will build them twice as fast as everybody else. And they will then go, uh-oh, we need to scale. And that will be a very difficult problem for most of those competitors because they are startups or they are smaller companies. Hmm. So let's play to our strength. And so that's a, that was a conversation hmm. with architecture, even with our CTO, with, you know, with multiple people, the head of sales. And you know, I, I won the argument with, we're going to focus on scale and I will give you an occasional new feature dotted along the way to, you know, let's, I can't just say no to all of it. Um, but that was a great example of kind of having an opinion, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the real, you know, market space, also knowing how our business is running, which I think a good, you know, senior level product manager ought to know, mm-hmm. at least have swag numbers on how we're doing and what we're trying to get to. And for that point in time, we were trying to sell more to existing enterprise customers. And so it made way more sense to say that they're looking at some of these things as a checkbox. But that thing fails, they'll leave us entirely across the entire suite of products. Right. So that's much, much worse. Let's address that. And sure enough, people came and went during that time for that particular product line and they came back because they found out that other people couldn't scale. And when they came back, they're like, hey, you guys, you guys have this nailed. Um, now, would you mind adding this feature? We'd go, yep, we'll do it. Because yep. <laughs> at that point, you're we weren't focused on scale anymore. Yeah. 
Good. This actually brings in a larger perspective of topics than I was first expecting when we were teeing up. You know, let's move through kind of a project structure and how we have less stressful projects. But a lot of this goes back to stakeholder management, those people with a vested interest. Let's get their opinion. Let's get their input. Let's make sure that they feel part of the process. Mm-hmm. And then let's do something reasonable with that information. Start taking action on what's most important now. Right. Make sure that they know that we can take action on what might be important coming up at the right time. It's a slippery slope, too, because you know, you're know you going to always have very vocal players in any group of people. I don't care if stakeholders, if it's team, whatever, you're going to have mm-hmm. more and less vocal people. And and this is that part where I think, again, it comes back to that leadership. And as a product leader, you need to have a very strong sense of you know the market you want to go after and why um, at least theme level sort of features and, and products that you want to work on are important. And you want to drive that conversation. It's not just you're not coming in a room and people are spewing ideas of like what ought, you know what ought to be. Right. It's more about um, you know we've taken in these different inputs from the customers, from you, the stakeholders, sales support, whoever, um, and we've built an initial model of what we think the next ninety days, one hundred and eighty days, you know, should should start to look like mm-hmm. at a high level, and then you start doing what I call portfolio management, right? So. Okay, we agree fundamentally these are the real important things. And then there's always someone in the room that's like item six. You know, you have five things you can do this quarter. And it's always like item six. And someone raises their hand, like, no, but that's crucial. That's that's a thing we gotta have. And so then you can have the conversation. You great. I you know, I didn't think it was, but tell me why. Mm-hmm. Tell us why as a group. Um, and then when they do, and then you go, okay, whose item on the top five should get bumped to number six to move yours up? And that, I think, that again, is that sort of, you've already sort of framed the initial, what the conversation is going to be about. Now people have had some input. They're more moving things around as opposed to throwing things at you Mm -hmm. um, and and just adding new ideas. And now you're having this very same conversation around, okay, I only have so many people to build things. And we all agree that five things is the max for this quarter. For, you know, whatever reason we've semi-estimated mm-hmm. them. So number six is off. You want to move it up. Now it's, you know, the head of sales arguing with the head of support because the, those are the two features, you know, they're trying to say whose is more right. important, not you, the product manager getting slammed for, you know, having dumped someone's off the thing. And the worst case scenario is you go, yeah, but you realize it's next quarter. Like you're at the top of next quarter. So is yours so valuable that you bump someone else's or can you wait three months? Is that going to kill, you know, whatever's going on or just something smaller, maybe that could temporarily patch your problem. So these are those, those conversations that are led by you um, that are more structured. You have people contributing, but you're not getting run over. You're not just like, well, I got the sales list. There's 47 things. We're going to figure out how to build them. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not product management, you know, at all. And it's not innovation either. It's not you thinking past uh, the next moment. Right. And so that's the part where you, as a, as a business leader, as a product person, as a, you know, someone taking on these big projects, need to, to be able to bring some of that to the meeting and say, here's why I think even website, you know, for example, why it's important now to have a website and to begin this process because 
we're only three months away from offering products. Uh-huh. We better start establishing our, you know, and so you can lay these things out. And now people have to argue why, you know, something should come before having that web presence and possibly delay selling products online. Right. That's a very different conversation than just, I want blah. <laughs> and they throw stuff out because everybody wants something and it's never the right time. Um, so you, you know, you obviously been through those. You, you've talked about <laughs> Just just mention those sort of plays around whether it's scaling, whether it's, you know, this new new thing we have to have, or the new widget on the site. Mm-hmm. There's always something, like, I call it the squirrel, you know, like squirrel, squirrel. Shiny object syndrome. Yeah. The squirrel line is great, too, from a funny movie. We, we use that one around the family, too. Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> As you talk through that, that scenario of having, you know, support and sales talk about, okay, what's going to go on the list? That sounded actually much less stress. That you're not the one in the middle of that trying to negotiate why something needs to happen or not happen, but you're set, setting the forum for the stakeholders to figure out what's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Let them have that discussion. Yeah, Really good information. I will make sure, as I said before, that the link to your resource that lays this out a little bit more is available in the show notes. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. I always ask for one. What do you have for us? And tell us why you chose that one. So I have a quote from uh, Margaret Heffernan. And it is, for good ideas and true innovation, you need human interaction, conflict, argument, debate. I love that quote. So Margaret is a five-time CEO. She's written five books, TED speakers, just overall badass woman. Like, she's legit. Look her up. The, the quote I like, though, is this idea that there's so much incrementation um, I could totally get on a soapbox about innovation. Um, I like to call it thing innovation, and mostly it's incremented. We're just little increments better. Um, but to, to get innovation, to really think um, leaps, bounds beyond where we are today, it's, it's about human interaction. We talk about being customer obsessed. We talk about we're being product obsessed, being, you know, like that, those all stem from this idea of there's something wrong, there's a problem, and we want to solve that problem. And maybe there's solutions today, maybe there aren't. That doesn't matter. The point is, until you have that sort of human interaction, you understand the conflict, maybe you disagree over the problem space, maybe you disagree um, over how you know how it's being solved today, you might debate over how to solve it better or worse, mm-hmm. whether the market's ready. That, that forced... Um, interaction around like I need to actually have an opinion and stand up for this thing. And maybe I, I get backed down a little bit by someone else's counter argument. And then I have to go do work, right? Let me come back with some more information mm-hmm. or some more thoughts around this. That's what forces those like kind of next level changes is that you either are completely backed in the corner and you have to find a way out um, or you're having these sort of like ongoing, like we're struggling. Why are we struggling? What's wrong? And so that's why I love the quote is that innovation comes out of sort of that um, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, necessity occurs because something's wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> Usually something's not working right. Um, and so it's a, it's a great quote from that standpoint. I think innovation comes from, doesn't come from a silo. It doesn't come from like, you know, the apple falling on your head um, as much as we like to yeah. Yeah, it know, doesn't fictionalize exist. it that way. It comes through the the grit and the grind and the you know you're you're down at the the street level and I think that's why I love startups mm-hmm. is that you have to get down at that um, 
you know, the actual rubber meets the road level. Yeah. And have interactions. And in that case, interactions with potential customers and uh, with your team. And yeah, innovation does not happen in a vacuum. Right. I have not heard that quote. I appreciate you introducing me to that one. I like that. Uh, a lot of people hear the word conflict and want to rush away from it. You know, <laughs> high-performing teams, man, they're good at conflict, right? They're arguing over what is the best thing to do for us to reach our objectives. How can listeners find out more about the work that you do? Where, where should they go? The easiest way is to go to my website. It's andyrosick.com. It's easy to find. It's got links to all the things if you want to follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, my my core work right now is is at the Home Depot, and I am I am pursuing new, innovative, hopefully truly innovative uh, ways to take what we do in our store and get it out of the store. And that's specifically for pro contractors uh, who are just not being served well today. Mm-hmm. So it's a really wonderfully complex and difficult and hard market with people who have wide ranging needs. And that's exactly the kind of thing crazy product managers run into is like, yes, I can maybe solve this. I can do this. So uh, that's what I'm doing today. And um, with all things, it's it's kind of all one, right? When mm-hmm. I talk about Projectopia and I give examples and, and I coach people, I use stuff I'm doing today. I use examples from my current work. Um, and it's it's exciting. Like I said, it's hard. I'm out there literally living with customers and yeah. um, flabbergasted by fax machines that still work and I'm using them. And I'm like, it's 2018 and you got a manila folder and a fax machine <laughs> and killing me, you know? <laughs> We have to get in touch with what our customers are doing. Absolutely. Andy, really good information. Uh, Again, I'll put andyrosick.com in the show notes for listeners and make the infographic available too. And I appreciate you taking time to share this information with us, especially that you're on vacation. And thanks to your family, who is probably trying to be quiet in the background there. Um, (laughs) uh, Really appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Chad. I appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find the written notes of the discussion with Andy at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 208. You can also find his guide to Projectopia there, everydayinnovator.com slash 208. Check it out. And as always, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.